Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, my name is Jeff Stout. Uh, been a West Michigander my entire life for the most part. Uh, grew up at Byron Center and ended up uh, at college. A um, couple of real quick uh, notes to get started, uh, just so you're not surprised. Uh, number one, um, I always talk too fast. I have about 50 minutes of material. I'm going to do it in 25 minutes, if that's a problem for you. Have a cup of coffee, enjoy it. Um, I only drink decaf coffee. That's going to be with your head at some point. What does this guy drink? Uh, I am uncaffeinated this morning. Uh, one other thing uh, relative to what I'm going to talk about, your mobility. Uh, there's a lot of questions out there about uh, if this is going to happen, when this is going to happen. Uh, there's only two real responses, I find, uh, to any time you're talking about new technology or new trends or whatever. Uh, either A, that's crazy, that is never freaking going to happen. Uh, and it's okay if you think that, and you can even laugh and giggle and, and maybe kind of roll your eyes at me, that's fine. Uh, you won't be the first. Or the alternative is, that's so obvious, I'm sure somebody's already thought of that. Somebody's already doing that. Both of those are gonna go through your mind at some point today. Um, that's fine, you have full freedom to agree or disagree, uh, just don't throw anything, um, and we'll get into it. Uh, one last uh, thing. This is just messing with the guy who had this record in front of the camera. I lived in China for three years. We talked about that this morning at the table. Uh, I gave a speech uh, in Chinese to a college group trying to recruit them to come to the company that I was working for. Uh, and I get a little involved in the talk, and twice in that 30 minute presentation, I fell off the stage. <laughs> Ever since then, the stage is absolutely terrifying. So, he's going to have a hard time because I like to walk around. And, not stand on the stage. So all that is an introduction. Who is YF? I've got one slide. Uh, just you can read it yourself. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as a world leader in automotive interiors. Basically, it's the joint venture with Johnson Controls. They have a 30% stake in us. Uh, before that, we were all Johnson Controls. Before that, we were Prince. Uh, if you have a uh, amount of time in the, in the community, that name is going to mean something to you. Um, but in the end, it's basically the same people in the same location. We do about $9 billion in revenue, so we're reasonably big. So the things I'm going to talk to you about, these are just kind of slides that are snapshots to just kind of get your mind thinking about what's going on in our industry. After that, I'm going to give you a little bit of a snapshot of what we're doing uh, at YF relative to the interior of uh, the car of the future. And then after that, just a little bit of kind of what the industry is going to do in the results or as a uh, response to that. So the topics are there on the right, or on the left, I'm sorry. Real quick story, YFAI vision, better life on board. Uh, we work in cars, uh, if, if you're an American uh, and you've been speaking English your whole life, you realize that that is a horribly written vision statement. Uh, better life on board. We, we don't get on board cars here. Uh, who, who wrote that? Uh, I gotta confess, we're a, we're a Chinese-owned company. When I first read it, I thought, oh dear heavens, here we go. Uh, Chinese wrote a business thing, but they don't realize we don't get on board cars. We get into cars, we ride cars, we drive cars, we don't get on board cars. Uh, turns out, I'm the idiot, this was a very uh, forward-looking statement, frankly. Uh, the reality is this is the language you don't currently use, but you will use. 
Because how do you get onto a ship? How do you get onto a train? How do you get onto a subway? You get on board. The reality is the car is going to be joining those modes of transportation as things you get into and it takes you somewhere or it takes something somewhere. You don't drive it, you don't ride in it, you get on board. So, uh, real quick, one page uh, for each of these. Uh, autonomous. Uh, this is the biggest thing that's coming our way. 80% of the top 10 OEMs are developing highly autonomous vehicles. I would argue that slide's probably old. Just, just about everybody is. The only one who's not developing autonomous vehicles, just as an interesting tidbit, is Chrysler. Chrysler's already kind of conceded. They said, we're not going to do this because we're not going to win anyway. We're just going to wait until somebody develops an autonomous vehicle and they want me to build it. Everybody else is still trying to win the race of becoming the one who makes the autonomous vehicle. Um, and as another tip, if you're making stock picks relative to this talk, uh, Waymo, the division of Google, is in the lead by a couple of light years. Uh, General Motors is in second place. And then there's everybody else. And, and I'll come back up later in the conversation. So what does that mean? Uh, that means really big things. Mobility services. This is connected to autonomous. At the end of the day, the autonomous car is not being designed or developed so that you can put it in your garage. The autonomous car is there for a mobility service provider to be able to provide you with a ride downtown. I go downtown Chicago, I want to get, I use my phone, a car calls, picks me up, takes me where I want to go. That is the mobility service, kind of like an Uber, just without the driver. Again, think about, well, what does that mean for, we'll pick on one car maker today, BMW. We'll just throw out the drive, we'll use BMW with the foil. Uh, so what does that mean to BMW? If there's a mobility service provider who has an autonomous car that picks you up and takes you where you want to go, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but the bullet there, relative to the miles driven, real quick on that. Uh, in general, there's about 100 million vehicles that get sold every year in the world. Uh, there's like 17 million in the US, uh, 18 to 20 in Europe, 26 in China, and then there's everywhere else. As we sell mobility service as opposed to a vehicle, are we going to sell more cars or less cars? <laughs> We're going to sell less cars. Uh, uh oh. Uh, people have capacity and capital and, and things to make cars. If we're going to make less of them, that's a problem. And the reality is, the cars that are going to be autonomous that are driving you around or your stuff around are going to be driving nonstop. So they're going to be doing 10 times the amount. You're going to have 100,000 mile per year cars that last for well over a million miles. So they're going to get worn out on the inside of the car, but the car itself, you don't, you don't need that many uh oh. Oh, that's good. Didn't talk about electric drive. Uh, electric drive is another interesting one. In general, the entire industry is moving towards electric drive. And a lot of people are wondering, well, why would you do that? I don't want an electric car. In fact, nobody wants an electric car. They only sell 2% of the entire sales are electric. Uh, the reality is twofold. Number one, uh, the environment matters. Um, we won't have the political conversation of what that statement means, but there are people out there who control cities and uh, regulation that are saying, we're going to outlaw diesel. And we're going to mandate a zero uh, output out of the tailpipe. In the end, electric is the only solution that's going to get you there. Whether it's fuel cell electric or battery electric, again, technical conversation we can have a different breakfast. But in general, electric is coming. And you can see the bottom note there, Hainan City in uh, China is the first one to say, we're only doing electric. That's going to continue to come more and more. The US will be last on that, but we will get there as well. And again, that's not a political statement. That's just a statement of reality. Uh, connectivity, won't waste a lot of time on this. In general, your kids, there's not a lot of kids in here, so I'm assuming I'll talk about your kids instead of your kids. Uh, they want to be connected in the car. Uh, the cars will be connected to each other, and the kids will be connected to each other. 
This is a huge point relative to financing, which isn't part of my talk today, but one that should make you scratch your head. Uh, the total cost of delivering a ride in a fully autonomous world, current studies have it at about 40 cents a mile. That's gonna come down, but okay, we can get to 40 cents a mile. The value of your data in that car is 60 cents a mile. What? <laughs> my, my data is worth more than the costs to bring me somewhere? Why is Google investing in automotive? Because they want to make the world a better place. <laughs> Good one. Um, no, they've invested billions of dollars because they want to make tens of billions and hundreds of billions of dollars. Waco has never built anything, and they are valued. They aren't a separate company, so people have to back into a valuation. But the back-end valuation has them valued more than pretty much every other automaker in the world. Goodbye. Uh-oh. What does that mean? Uh, new tech OEMs. Uh, so this is essentially the statement I was just making. The fact that money is flowing into this industry. Money typically doesn't flow into the automotive space. I don't know if the people who are in the crowd who work in automotive, we're generally the, the bastard stepchild of the manufacturing world where you have to kind of be in it to enjoy it, but everybody who's not in it is like, I don't know why those people work in that field. Um, <laughs> today, money is pouring into this field. Why? Because someone is going to make an unbelievable amount of money. And maybe this would be a good stepping off place uh, to say, if Waymo figures out all of the autonomous features that needs to figure out, and frankly, they're not that far away. Um, it's big, come to surprise some of you, but there are autonomous vehicles on the road today. Uh, in Arizona's where they're doing their test runs, where you, if you're signed up, you can actually call the car, it comes, picks you up, takes where you wanna go. Uh, that science fiction thing is on the road today. So when you say, well, that's never gonna happen, well, it, it is happening. It's just a question of when does it get to scale. But if Waymo figures it out, and they wanna have an autonomous car, service that they either do themselves or they contract with somebody else. Who's going to build that car? I don't know. Um, pretty good chance it's not BMW. Let's go back to that. Honda had an agreement with Waymo to jointly develop cars. Um, and I'm going to fill in a little bit uh, stuff that wasn't in the press. Uh, and it's completely my opinion, so you can feel free to reject it or ignore it or just think I'm crazy. Uh, they were in a relationship for about a year and all of a sudden abruptly they said we're out. And then they partnered with GM, with the cruise automation. Why did that happen? I'm pretty sure the conversation went something like, I'm Honda talking to Waymo, this is a great deal for us, this is going to be fantastic, we're going to make a lot of money. And Waymo said, yeah, this is going to be awesome, maybe you guys can make cars for us and we can do this thing. And Honda said, yeah, once we get all the data and we can really monetize that data, I'm sorry, what? You want to monetize the data? Because that's, that's me. You build the car, little boy. <laughs> I will make the real money. And Honda said, wait a minute. I'm not a little boy. I'm a really important car maker in the world. And they went and found another really important car maker that they could kind of hug and suck their thumbs together <laughs> while they get their lunch handed to them by Waymo. <laughs> There are some really, really intelligent people in this world, this is where you get to roll your eyes, I'm, I'm queuing it up. Uh, there are really intelligent people in this world who believe in our lifetimes, most of you, um, 
go out of business. What does that mean for West Michigan? What does that mean for Southeast Michigan? Is that even true? Speculation. But you can see where, I thought they were crazy until I'm soaked in this for a fair amount of time. You can see where you get to that opinion. Uh, Asian Pacific. So it used to be that uh, China was a small part of the automotive space. It's good to be a huge part of the automotive space, as you can see by the chart, uh, over half. What happens in China matters for here. China needs uh, cleaner power. They've got a huge pollution problem. They need to be able to uh, get more efficient transportation in their cities. They are going to drive a lot of this. Quality of life. This is the last bullet that is a transition then into the work that we did. Uh, we have a, a process where we do research right here out of Holland. There's a group of people that are uh, connected with people in Europe and China looking at macro uh, trends, mega trends of how people view kind of life in general, outside automotive, whatever. Uh, and one of the things that's really changed is this notion of quality of life. I got a couple slides on it. But basically going away from my generation and a few of our generations of saying, well, I can't wait to grow up and I want to really have some beautiful stuff. I can't wait to get that new car. Um, I can't wait to live in that nice house. There's a ton of research that's driving towards people saying, well, well no, I want to have experiences. I want to be with people. I want to be able to tell a story about what I did. I don't care if I own it. And I don't have to tell you the stories if you guys have kids. The interest in getting a driver's license, all that is well-worn stuff in the media. Kids don't care about the thing. I want to be with my friends, whether it's digitally or whether it's in person, even that somewhat doesn't matter. I just want to be able to have an experience. So what does that look like? Uh, at YF we do show cars. Um, a lot of my friends make fun of this because we don't actually sell anything. You can't buy one of these. Why would you make a show car if you're not actually going to sell it? Uh, this is just our list of ideas of what we think is going to happen that we're trying to convince the automakers that they need us to help develop. Uh, so the most recent one, that, uh, quite recently, was the 2017, the XIM down in the lower right-hand corner. Uh, real quick on the process, I mentioned we do the research. Uh, we do research for a year. And from that research, we then spend six months doing a design to convert that research into a proposal, and then we spend six months uh, building uh, the property. What's significantly different about this, and in this presentation I have at least two or three really uh, well-articulated jabs at my brothers at Gentex over here. I love the fact they're right next to me. Um, <laughs> We've all worked together forever. Um, we'll just pick on Gentex, but it's true of everybody. Uh, the trick in doing this is the temptation is always to take what you currently make and say, well, how can I take what I currently make and make it better? And then try to convince customers they should want to buy it. Which normally, I would say for the last 100 years, is a really great strategy. The problem with what we're moving into now is if you just take what you make today and try to sets it up a little bit and say, hey, this is what you should want to buy. You're not asking the consumer what they want to buy. You're telling the consumer what you hope they want to buy. And if you're just doing incremental innovation type stuff, that's fine. That works. But if you're really trying to figure out where is this new trajectory of technology, it's not going to be a variation of what you make today. It never is. So from there, quality of life, uh, a year's worth of research, I'm going to boil it down into just 30 seconds on a slide. Um, this is one of those where you're like, well, yeah, duh. Uh, there's a lot of information here that isn't going to soak in in this moment, but just want to at least throw it up there. As we looked across all of the different factors of people answering, this is global as well, right? Europe, China, North America. All of that response came down to these three categories. Um, simple, perfect service, escape from the everyday, and engaging, connecting experience. 
like, okay, those are words, what does that mean? Uh, that's the job of the designer is to take those words and actually turn that into something. Which is what we'll uh, end with here in a few seconds. Uh, but another one that's significant, the idea of ownership. So I love this slide, the one on the top, Fort Thunderbird. I don't know what year that is, 50-something. Um, maybe someone in the crowd had one. Uh, but if you look at the ad, what are they selling? They're not selling cars, it's just a car. What they're selling is image. And man, I, I, I get one of these, I can go on a box lot. <laughs> awesome, I've always wanted to go on a box lot. Um, Automakers for the last hundred years have been perfecting a brand that when you buy that brand, it says something about who you are. In a rideshare and car share, do I care what brand? When I call the Uber and a Prius shows up, I go, yes, I got a Prius. I nailed a jackpot. I don't care. The only thing I care about is what's on the inside. And currently, rideshare and car share, currently those are just ownership cars that somebody said, well, I'll give you a ride. So as we thought about these categories, well, what does it mean to be ownership or rideshare car share? How would you design things differently for car share versus rideshare? What do you, is the difference between car share and rideshare? Uh, we actually stumbled across another one that you might roll your eyes and say, well, that's simple. And, uh, this is a major change for us that drives a lot of our thinking. If you stop giving it names and start giving it time durations, now it means something. If I have years, well, yeah, now I care about it. It's in my garage. It says something about who I am. I'm a BMW guy. If it's minutes, well, well, now I, I can actually take those uh, research findings, the detail behind the three that I kind of gave you, and actually populate that into the minutes. So people care about convenience, access, quickness, cleanliness. Uh, ours, it's a little more kind of like a hotel, or maybe surprise and delight. I'll pay a little bit more for it, but not a lot more. And it's different things that I want out of that experience than I do out of a year's experience. This is the object versus experience slide. Uh, that's the object of my desire, true confessions. Uh, but then we look at uh, what people are looking forward to. They're, they don't draw a picture of the car. It's people, and it's activities, and art, it, it's doing something, feeling something, telling a story about something, not pointing at a picture and saying, that's mine. So a couple of other analogies. Uh, you go to a restaurant, very similar experience. Uh, the hostess says, would you like to sit outside or would you like to sit inside? Uh, if you go home, you have a choice. I can sit on the front porch, I live in Grand Rapids, I got a nice big porch, I can watch life go by in front of me, or I can go inside and I can sit by the fireplace. There's this idea of being able to choose how you interact with the world around you. This is another one that's, when you say it the first time, it sounds very simplistic, huge implications for design and development. If you think about life, we separate it in terms of enclosure and exposure. There's times in life when I go to a cafe and I want to sit by the window and I want to have a cup of coffee and see the world. And there's other times that I don't. I want to have a private moment. We, we do this public-private thing. I'm talking about Holland Crowd. You go out through the, uh, the channel onto Lake Michigan and you're on your boat. You are either out on the deck going, this is weird, me. Or you're down in the cubby going, yeah, I don't need people right now. We choose exposure and enclosure all the time. So four categories, quality of life, duration, object experience, enclosure, exposure. That then gets turned into a vehicle. Uh, this is where people make way more money than I do and they're way better than I am because I have no idea how I would take those four boxes and turn it into a vehicle. Um, but that's what our designers do. 
So here you can just see a couple of images. I'll just flash through some of these and then we'll get to the, the vehicle that we just uh, unveiled three weeks ago now. Um, the initial sketch, you can see in the upper left-hand corner, you can start to see the intentionality around that enclosure exposure. The person in front, all glass, being able to look out, people in the back, being able to have kind of a private moment. Again, all this is done in Holland. The research is done in Holland. Design is done in Holland. The build is done in Holland. A little advertisement for the local gang. Pictures of the builds. Just a shout out to, looks like Chris Pearson's the highlight there in the right-hand corner. This is then the final sketch that led to the vehicle itself. Again, exposure, enclosure. More graphics. Final slide. Part of this was an intentionality of getting away from pure functionality. Today in your car, everything in your car does something for you. I, I, wanna, I want the seat to move, I hit the switch, the seat moves. Uh, there is almost nothing, maybe someone can come up with a, an example, over, I don't know of an example, where the car is just fun, where the car is just playful, where you have something that's just kind of entertaining. Uh, you can see here at the back of the vehicle, that entire headliner rear pillar, as we have it designated, is an LED panel with, uh, I won't get into the technology, but stereoscopic camera that can check your gestures, and you can just play with it. And it's amazing, when we were building this vehicle, we'd bring executives in and be like, oh, we're doing this thing, it's a little bit screwy because it's not really, the stuff we do today, we're really trying to get at what we think consumers want, and they would kind of roll their eyes and say, oh, really? Uh, and they would sit in the back, uh, and they would play, and after a couple minutes, you'd be like, okay, so we need to go. They're not going anywhere. This is freaking awesome. I mean, they're, they're little kids. And, and we lose that sense of playfulness in the fact that we've been driven by cost and price to say it's gotta be functional, it's gotta move, it's gotta be quiet, and to just have something that's fun is an amazingly resonant thing with the customers that we've already presented this to. Um, so I have a, a show video that we created. It was a great um, overview of the vehicle, kind of in uh, flashy marketing style. Uh, I voted against that. Instead, I slipped in a video that was created by a guy when we unveiled this at the West Coast, uh, NBC News out there. Uh, part of the reason, because he actually does a much better job than us of going through some of the features. Uh, and number two, just as a non-automotive critique, changes all around us. This guy comes out to our show by himself with his camera, and in an hour, he created an amazing video that goes on the news that night. I remember being a kid with a person that had the big thing, right, and you had the handler with it. It was a four-person job to do an interview. This is a 30-year-old guy, just, he was doing six stories that day by himself, creating it, editing it, the whole thing. Um, everybody world, everybody's world gets rocked. So this is a three-minute video, sit back, enjoy your coffee. People value now their experiences as much or sometimes more than their possessions. So I've kind of hit the passenger seat, but they're all passengers. Exactly. If I could light this up right. and tell the car where to go. You can touch on any of the icons. This shows the, the route map. Swipe forward, and the ride begins. Now we're going into like the living room. Yes, the enclosure area. You notice there's no instrument panel, there's no floor console. Door panels, as we typically know them, are also not there. What is this? It's our vision of what future shared mobility can be like. Yanfeng is a company that designs modules like this for the interiors of cars. But on the other side of this parking lot, they design an entire car interior that's a concept for the car of the future. If you take an Uber or Lyft, you don't care too much about what that outside is like. 
It's really about the interior experience. And at this year's CES in Las Vegas, car makers brought their visions of what that experience should be. More space and stuff like that, so you can be more like relaxed and comfortable. Hyundai came up with this concept for a car where driving is optional. If you want to still physically drive, you can just press the button. There's a drive mode button. There's a steering wheel. Oh, look at that. Wow. What was a big TV becomes transparent so you can see the world outside or put the car in office mode. All the seats are going to move forward and there's going to be a mini desk that's going to pop out so you can actually have a conference call or you can have some tasks here while the vehicles drive for you. Or this. Green, we're good. Green, we're to see. Why go to the gym when you can work out while stuck in traffic? You know, I got a little sweat going now. Others, including Mercedes, showed off the buses of the future, but for riding alone or with friends, yet Funk's concept is about the size of an SUV. I look at this and I see, like, the front porch and the living room. Exactly. So we have this exposure area and enclosure area. Exposure and enclosure. If you go out to a restaurant, for example, you can have the privacy of the booth inside. Maybe it's a date. Or you're with friends, you want to sit outside and have the openness to the, to the outdoors, especially when the weather's nice like it is today. A lot of the technology is hidden. You just put your phone there and it lit up. Lights up, it drops down, charges the phone, becomes a phone holder. And then there's the stereo. It feels like I'm actually wearing headphones right now. So it's like virtual headphones. I'm listening to rock music right now. Yeah. I don't hear anything. The system tracks your head movements and shoots sound straight into your ears as you watch the city go by. We have the enclosure area in the back that's much Cozier. Back here, you can pick the wallpaper. Look at that. So this response responds to your movements. It's reading the volume around here through a camera as well. And we've just done this as a playful interaction. This can also be, again, a human-machine interface. Oh, so I can have, like, my maps up there. Exactly. Nice. Now, remember, this is a shared vehicle. 20 minutes from now, you'll hop out and someone else will hop in. But don't worry about germs. If you look on the front table, it's slowly sweeping that front surface. That's our UV sanitation. So that thing that's going back and forth, that's, like, touchless cleaning. Exactly. But what if the folks before you had smelly leftovers? They thought of that too. What am I smelling right now? So we have perfume, we have scent also built into the air vent to give this whole uh, total five cents experience. So can I like decide that I want this to smell like fresh cut grass? Sure. In here it's all legroom. No hood, no trunk, no pedals. That means electric motors and of course robotic driving technology will have to keep getting better for all this to work. We hope that by showcasing the possibilities of an autonomous future, that also helps to accelerate the progression. technology that's uh, demonstrated there, uh, there's some sense of uh, a fair bit of that is actually sold already, mostly in China, uh, again. But the technology that leads you to that kind of experience is not uh, fairyland. Uh, but the opportunity to actually have a vehicle that's built and developed specifically for that use is a change. That is new. And that's what leads us into uh, the Three or four slides. I actually stole this from the uh, president of Rivian. You ever heard of Rivian's new car company on the uh, east side of Michigan? They're going to make an electric pickup truck. Uh, the guy who uh, graduated from MIT had this idea to create an electric pickup truck. Started his own company, um, which we need to celebrate those people as often as possible. But basically, looking at this is uh, four slides from him. What drives him is this belief, and I 100% share this. Today, what's what's on the left? Every car is a person. Every person's a car. That's how it's worked for the last hundred years. In the future, there's going to be a lot of different ways you're going to get access to a car. No ownership, access to a car. So what does that look like? Looks like this. Uh, I think this is just a, a great analogy because it just resonates with me so much. Uh, I've got a closet uh, full of clothes. 
Um, I've got a handful of different options, but in general, when we buy cars, we buy a car. Maybe some of you out there have six cars, but for the most part, it's one or two. Uh, this is my minivan for my kids, and this is my sedan, because I'm having a midlife crisis, so it's like kind of a little sporty sedan. Those are my two choices. And no matter what I do in my life, those are my two choices. So I'm gonna go to the beach, I'm gonna go to the opera, I'm gonna go for breakfast, I'm gonna go camping, I got two choices. We live our lives in cars like there's only one set of clothes that has to serve all functions. It leads to this belt, which I realize is graphical. Uh, when we buy a car, we're trying to find the average use case. Minivan's kind of ugly, it's really not, but the utility's great, so, okay, I guess I'm gonna get a minivan. Uh, and I'm gonna get a sedan, but I'm not gonna get a super exciting sedan, because I can't afford that, I'm not gonna get a Ferrari, I'm, I'm constantly making these compromises between commodity and aspiration. The future is gonna look like this. I'm 100% certain of this, just a question of command. When I'm going around the street, I've got a, I wanna go three quarters of a mile. I don't care, as long as it's clean, it can be plastic seats with a pole. It can be a little micro bus that I'm taking. It doesn't matter. It just has to be quick and convenient. But then on the other side, when I'm doing something fun and nice, whatever, I will have the opportunity to go get a car that really is exactly what I need for that moment. And so you'll see, which is the reason why I wanted to include these slides, when we showed ours, it's like, oh, so that's what you think the future of is gonna be like. No, no, that, that is a future. That is a vehicle that will be on the road that you guys hopefully will be able to take someday. But there are going to be an infinite number of vehicles on the road based on all kinds of things. And again, open your mind for a minute. You can imagine Home Depot is going to have their own car. Amazon's going to have their own car. Hilton's going to have their own car. They're going to get you in Hilton. They're going to get you into a car that smells like the Hilton, which there's a signature scent for Hilton, right, Anne Marietta? When you walk in the lobby, whether you know it or not, they are starting to market to you. They're going to do that the moment you get out of the airport, get into that car, it smells like Hilton, check in, it's going to take it to my door, I'm going to go in. There will be a car for every purpose. We're just showing one of them. Now the challenge for us, and anyone in automotive, that would be a significant challenge. The challenge is, well, then you're not going to be making 350000 of the same thing, most likely. You're going to be making 10000 of 35 different variations of vehicle. Yeah. We are not set up to do that. So our problem on the interior of the car, and there will be an interior of the car, right? So that's the nice thing. The interior's not going away. Uh, but the problem is it's not gonna be what we make today, the way we make it today. So we've gotta revolutionize our manufacturing in order to be able to deliver the solution that the market is needing. And we expect it to look like this. A car for every purpose. Just like you do in the rest of your life. You don't accept compromise in just about anything else that you do. You go get what you need for that moment. Last two slides uh, that are just playful uh, more than anything else. What does this mean for? Um, and this is maybe the most relevant for everybody in this crowd who doesn't work in automotive. Because uh, the reality is it affects everything y'all do. For the most part, I don't know everybody in here. Um, but how the city is laid out, where the power gets generated and transmitted to as these cars need to get powered up. Gas stations all go away. People who drive for a living go away. Traffic monitoring goes away. Parking monitoring goes away. There's no parking in the future, right? I don't know if I missed that in the introduction. If you go downtown, and this is gonna come faster than most, they'll just outlaw parking. So you don't have to take an autonomous ride here. You can drive your own car, you just can't stop. Oslo <laughs> uh, is already doing it, so again, it's already happening today. Um, traffic judges, car dealers, car manufacturing, I already talked about what happens to the current manufacturers. 
Uh, auto mechanics, data analytics, I include that one in there because most of these are, oh boy, if you're in this, but data analytics is going to explode. Your kids are wondering what they should do, if there's going to be any future. Monetizing data and the ability to assess data, we are just at the forefront of what that looks like. Car insurance, garage repurposing. If I don't have a car in the garage, what am I going to do with my garage? Well, it's going to be freaking awesome is what it's going to be. Uh, so if you want to start a business of repurposing what a garage could be, uh, rental cars, the fleet maintenance, the car is going to have to be clean, the maintenance thing's going to break. There's new businesses that are going to come out of this, and there are old businesses that are just flat out going to go away. And this is my other dig at Gentex, uh, my brother's down the street. Uh, Electrochromic mirrors, you better find something else for those things to do because you're not going to be using them to look at who's behind you. Because you're not going to care. Uh, and I think I did next just because they're local, but the reality is there are hundreds of people in this category. Bon and Hummel makes fuel filters, Wix fuel filters. What are they going to do? Not fuel filters. Uh, the people who make headlights, Valio, uh, Sylvania, Hella. Those people are scared to death. They have an existential crisis on their hands. Because their entire portfolio goes away. And they're going to have to convert their people and their equipment to something else or just get dissolved. Uh, and from a timing standpoint, I should probably end with that. Thing. So is this like 2020? Um, most people believe that the effect of this starts being seen in a significant way in 2025 to 2030. Uh, the most conservative people would say, and uh, 2040 is when this really hits in a big way. Okay, so it's either 12 or 11 or 21 years. So that's, that's the bookends of progressive to conservative of where this really all-encompassing, societally changing impact is coming our way. So if you're not ready for it, at least in the back of your mind, you need to get ready for it. And that's the end of my presentation. Thanks, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.